you're all settled in, it looks like you could move down a little closer if there are a few seats around and that makes us feel more intimate. Well, a formal good evening and welcome. My name is Mary Wood. I'm with the, uh, the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to this evening's Meet the Artist interview. This is uh, Friday, April 10th, 2015. And this is also opening night for Program 7. We are moving quickly through the season. I can hardly believe we're staring Program 8 <laughs> just down in the whites of its eyes. Um, as many of you already know, the Center for, San for Dance Education produces a number of educational programs for adults as well as for children in our community. There are lots of interesting things going on uh, that you can discover in a brochure that you can find out in the lobby or in your um, program picture book that you'll get this evening uh, that talks about adult education. And this year, in, uh, for the first time in many, many years, the company is very excited to have produced uh, a souvenir, the, the Look Book, which is a series of absolutely gorgeous photos with lots of text and stories about the company and about the dancers. It's my pleasure this evening to be in conversation with Principal Ballerina, Sarah Van Patten. Welcome, Sarah. Sarah has very graciously agreed to go from the end of our conversation time up to the shop on the mezzanine where she will be signing said lookbooks. And what I've learned is that it's become kind of a fun thing this season to collect as many signatures as possible. So if you already have your book and you brought it, you can go get Sarah's signature. Um, they are certainly for sale up there if you need to start your collection tonight. And one more thing, these programs are recorded for podcasting on the ballet's website, sfballet.org. So I hope you um, are in the habit of checking the website because there's a lot of good information there, beautiful visuals, lots of video, keep getting more and more, <clears throat> and of course, information about upcoming events. Um, now, getting down to the good stuff. Sarah, it's always a treat. You have um, been a member of San Francisco Ballet for quite a few years now. 14. That's, that counts as quite a few. It's a significant career. And you've um, joined the company as a soloist, I understand, but you were promoted, when were you promoted to principal? It was about four years after, I want to say. So I'd say I've been a principal for roughly 10 years. And we have, of course, enjoyed Sarah in a very wide repertoire. And you and I generally end up talking about your repertoire and how it is broad. Um, most of us, I think, treasure you as a dramatic dancer, as an actor. Um, it's probably not quite as well known that a lot of your training was very Balanchine-oriented. Why don't we start there? 
Um, this particular program has one of the iconic, one of the quintessential Balanchine works, and while we don't get to see you this evening, it is in your rep. Um, you, and which role is it that you do in The Four Temperaments? So currently I dance Sanguinic, um, which is one of the excerpts in Four Temperaments, but I've also danced the third theme. Um, that's uh, one of the earlier movements in the piece. Um, it's an absolutely amazing ballet, um, both to dance and watch, I think, um, one of my favorites. Uh, the music is, you could just listen to the music alone, um, but obviously it's nicer to have ballet with it. Um, but no, it's, it's a really, really wonderful piece. It's actually very difficult as well. Um, so even though my section is maybe the first section I do is maybe only five minutes. It's by the end of it, you're, you know, sitting on the side, huffing and puffing, you know, really worked quite hard. So it's, you know, it's a hard, a hard ballet. One of the characteristics of a lot of the Balanchine works is what we so-called um, the black and white ballets. And what that means is that you are just out there in very minimal leotard and tights. And that exposes every muscle and all of the technique and that amazing Balanchine-specific look. Um, how would you tell the audience to look at a work if, if I'm going to guess there are people who've never seen, are there people who've never seen Four Temperaments in the audience? Yeah, look at that. So what, what should they look for? What are they going to see that's going to be very particular? That's a hard question. Um, I, mean, I love hard questions. I mean, if you've never seen the ballet, I would just say sit back and enjoy um, and take in what it is that, you know, interests you. I would say that um, each section, there's a melancholic uh, sanguinic and the choleric and I think in the choreography you can really see uh, the differences based on you know which uh, kind of feeling you're portraying based on the names of those dances and so that might be something that would be interesting to look into. Um, Balanchine is um, known for taking the classical classical ballet that was his training <clears throat> and then creating something that's called neoclassical which means many things but including he takes a classical stance and then twists it moves it sideways off balance things like that um, so when the audience is looking at four temperaments they'll see a lot of that don't you think yes I mean um, I, I guess what I mentioned before, when you finish, well, when I finish dancing a piece like Four Temperaments, particularly Sanguinic, and I'm exhausted, um, if I'm not exhausted, then there's something that I didn't do right. And that's a good way of knowing that you've really, you know, done the work the way it should be done, because approaching a piece like this is you want to cover a large amount of space. You want to keep all the movements as sharp as you can make them, the extensions and the um, 
like you were saying, the um, like off balances as not extreme, but just as um, grand as they can be within the music. Mm -hmm. And I think if you really try to reach for that, it pushes you to, you know, kind of put everything out on the stage when you're doing the work, so. And the last thing I would say about it is that this work was created in 1948. That makes it an old work. And yet it's probably one of the most contemporary looking pieces that we do, and certainly on tonight's program. Um, the um, other piece that you're involved in in this particular program is Helgi Thomason's Caprice, which, is it fair to say, is very different? Yes. yes. Um, say more about that. <laughs> um, I dance the same part that Yuan Yuan Tan will dance this evening, um, and I've, I've been able to be involved in many of Helgi's works. Um, and they have, he tends to have very, very beautiful pas de deux work. And so the part that I'm doing is the central pas de deux to this piece. Um, and it's very expressive. He's very, um, he's very good at using the music and the musicality. And he always picks really beautiful music to choreograph to. Um, and so I always enjoy taking, um, the steps that he's given and making them my own with, you know, with my partner, but also developing what it is, the, the feelings or the tension or the maybe love story um, and all of those little things throughout working on his, his ballets, particularly Caprice. Mm -hmm. You have been in any number of his works that he's um, produced for San Francisco Ballet. Uh, we are celebrating Helgi Thompson's 30th season with the company. And in that time, I, if I've got my numbers right, he's created over 40 works. And um, in 14 years, you've been in any number of them. Um, it's always interesting to an audience to, to know how does it feel when an artwork is being created on you. Um, how would you say being in a Helgi work feels and maybe even compare it to being in some of the other world premieres that you've enjoyed? Well, it's always a very special process um, to be created on, but I think what's particularly unique um, for being in one of Helgi's ballets is that he knows us the best um, in terms of a choreographer working with the company because we'll have people come in like Christopher Wielden who knows the company quite well or Liam Scarlett who did a piece last season um, but they always come and then they leave and so Yuri, or, uh, sorry, Helgi is so um, close with us because he's obviously with us all year round and knows his dancers very well so even though I dance the part that Yuan Yuan Tan dances um, my version or my way of dancing it with T-Telemets is very different. And Helgi very much embraces that because I think he really appreciates that we're all very individual um, ballerinas. Um, you are doing another, uh, let's see, this weekend. You are also um, not resting on any nights off. Um, except maybe tonight, 
the program that's in rotation with this is the Shostakovich, which has been extraordinarily well received. I hope all of you will be seeing it, if you haven't already. Um, that work was not exactly created on our company, but it certainly was created with our company in mind, which is an interesting process in itself. Um, talk about working with choreographer Alexei Ratmansky, and maybe a few of the things you think that are what really <clears throat> are making people so drawn to the Shostakovich trilogy. It is so well received. Interestingly, I knew Alexei from when I was with the Royal Danish Ballet, which was about 16 years ago, and he was still a principal dancer with the company. And so I saw some of his most, uh, his earliest work when he first started choreographing at that time. And then over the years to now when he's a world-renowned you know, choreographer. Um, and of course, I mean, I, I think he's really genius. I think he has a lot of amazing, amazing works. And, um, and he has a, a really wonderful um, dedication to his pieces. So working with uh, him on the Shostakovich trilogy was definitely um, a very unique experience because, for instance, the work we did, I want to say two years ago, from Foreign Lands, um, which was a really fun, upbeat, bright piece, didn't really have much of a serious story going on. So even though he had intentions with movement quality and um, that was kind of more where he went with it. But with the Shostakovich trilogy, there was something much deeper for him that was, um, I think the whole company really felt when he came to set the work. So I danced both Symphony Number no. 9, which is the first piece, and the Chamber Symphony, which is the second. And both pieces, um, it wasn't as adamant about the specific step, even though he definitely has a very unique way of moving and liking his dancers to move. It was more important that each step had the right emotion and the right intention attached to it. And so that's what he was really after when he was coaching his work. Um, so you might even see kind of slight little differences throughout the casts. Um, because again, we would work with him individually and based on how we moved, he would kind of um, work with you um, to then make sure the message that he's interested in coming across does so. It's, it's a monumental piece. And when I saw it last year, I thought, oh, this is fabulous. And then I looked forward to it this year thinking, is it going to be as fabulous? And it was. So I really, really commend it. And it, it is always interesting to see alternate casts because each cast brings out something quite different. Uh, speaking of alternate casts, um, toward the end of the season now, or at the end of the season, up comes Romeo and Juliet. And I know that's a piece very dear to your heart. I'm hoping that we'll be able to see you in one of the casts. Yes. Um, how many rotating casts will there be? Is that a fair question to ask? Um, there's a good handful of us. Um, so there'll be many different Juliets, many Romeos, many interpretations. 
um, which is great because we have 11 performances, um, which will hopefully include everyone. Right. And looking back to um, Giselle, I think in eight performances we saw seven couples, which was astonishing by any measure. Um, can you reveal to us who your, your Romeo is? Yes, Carlos Kennedy. Oh, wonderful. And it was, Car did you do Giselle with Carlos? Am I yes. got that right? Yes, good. So that, that helps me with this next question, and that is um, forming a good bonding partnership. How have you, let's say, lucked out with that? How do you um, explain what maybe goes into that kind of bonded partnership? Well, yes, I have lucked out. Um, Carlos is a beautiful dancer and a phenomenal partner, so that makes my life much better. <laughs> um, but luckily, we've danced quite a bit together the past few years, so preparing for full lengths where you do want to have you know, a good chemistry, a good working relationship, um, especially a piece as intimate as Romeo and Juliet to really be able to know the person you're dancing with and, um, and kind of be on the same page as things um, really helps. And, you know, I, I've had a few Romeos in over the years um, and each and every one is different and I don't want it to be the same. And so it's, you know, it's fun and refreshing to have a whole new experience with it. And that's what I'm really enjoying right now because I think my first Juliet was 16 years ago, so. I was going to ask how, um, of all the roles, that one is probably the one you've danced the most and the longest. I have heard you say it's the dearest to you. Is that still true? Yes. Um, how do you, let me re rephrase the question. Is this um, evolution of partners, having different partners, does that contribute to your being able to make the role evolve? I think so. Um, you know, and even doing, for instance, I did Caprice last season, and I'm doing it again this year, and I have the same partner, and yet there is something that's very different about it, just because I'm a year older, and I'm different, and I've experienced different things in a whole year, so it's, you know, it's going to also change. And so I think, just like, you know, when I did Juliet, and I was 16, it's very different at 30, <laughs> um, which I think is a wonderful thing. You know that we always like to give our audience the opportunity to ask questions. Those of you who came in after we started, um, I'm in conversation with Sarah Van Patten, principal dancer, who is talking about <clears throat> the rep um, over this weekend, this, these two programs, the Shostakovich and um, pieces that you will see on this evening's program, and Romeo and Juliet, which is... Um, the special ending to the season. It's going to be spectacular. So are there those of you who have questions for Sarah? And if so, I will um, try to hear you clearly and then repeat the question so that everyone can hear it. Yeah. Interesting, thinking back to The Little Mermaid. 
and the gentleman enjoyed your performance and wants to have a few reflections. Yes, that was an amazing um, experience for me, I would say. I was very lucky to dance both the mermaid and the princess, um, which made, because of our performing schedule, uh, made things very challenging for me. So I did all of the performances back to back in a week period. Um, but it definitely, it definitely changed me and strengthened me and I grew a lot as an artist during that time. I think because I had to go back and forth, if any of you have seen it, it's a very, um, it's not the traditional Little Mermaid that you would see on Disney. Um, it's actually <laughs> a very, uh, Yes, it's the original story. And so to go from something so devastating as The Mermaid in an afternoon performance to something so happy and, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say ditzy, but just kind of, well, that's how John used to always tell me to just be kind of airheaded and whatnot. Um, and so just the dramatic change is what I, ex is, is something that I really needed to, find in myself every time to make sure that I was true as the artist, as the person that I was supposed to be portraying. And that in itself, I found to be the most difficult thing over being just exhausted throughout the week it was just the emotional contrast. So. Thank you. Um, a question over here. All right. Do you have any interest in choreographing? I've actually tried, and unfortunately, I don't think I have any talent. <laughs> um, but I, I save that for, I think, people who are, have choreographic talent. So, For instance, this evening, you'll see um, a world premiere by Yuri Poskov. Um, who is a genius and I think is an unbelievably beautiful work. So it's going to be a great, great night. Yeah, one of the things we often hear from choreographers is that they had an interest in it very, very young. And if you haven't really felt that spark, it's... There's, there's nothing more to say. I really sympathize. I've, <laughs> I've actually tried and I notice I... I try coming up with steps, and all I do is just redo ballets that I know. So that's why I know that I, yeah. Sure. Maybe someday. Um, another question, how about over here? Yeah. You seem really grounded and just beautifully present in your performances, so I was wondering if you have a meditative practice or how you cultivate that. You seem um, grounded and, what was the other word? Right. Present in your performances, and she's wondering um, if you have any particular personal practices such as meditation to support that. Not specifically, um, but I do, and I speak for most dancers, you do have a, like a pre performance ritual that sets you up both, you know, physically and mentally for the show. And I think knowing, you know, the, the steps that you take in order to prepare, whether it be listening to certain kind of music, putting your makeup on a certain way, all those things 
um, just the routine of it can be very relaxing and also just puts you in the right mindset for the performance. Thank you. Um, someone over here. I see a hand way back there. You'll have to speak very loudly. Can you repeat it? She asked if there's a specific choreographer um, whose works that I feel are specifically technically challenging. Thank you. I didn't catch the last bit. That's a hard one. Um, you know, it, it really depends. I've done many Yuri Poskov ballets where, you know, in the studio, a lot of dancers will say, oh, it's a Yuri piece because we're all dying, we're all exhausted. So, you know, I think Yuri always likes to challenge us, you know, physically. Um, but then, I, you know, I, there's so many pieces that I can think of where I'm, you know, technically uh, quite challenged. And it just depends on, I think, the piece itself. That's a hard one. Um, we have time for maybe one more, so right here. When you're on stage, how aware are you of the audience? And do you know, you recognize, is there a difference between, say, a Friday night audience, a Saturday night audience, or a Sunday night day audience? This is a good question. Um, dancers grapple with it all the time. Um, are you aware of your audience and the character of your audience? I'm paraphrasing a little. And can you feel a difference between the Friday night audience and the Saturday night audience and the Sunday matinee audience? I think yes. And I think it depends on a few things. It depends on the piece that's being performed um, and yes, there is a slight difference throughout the week, weekend, afternoon to evening shows at times. Um, for instance, a ballet like Romeo and Juliet, a Saturday matinee to a Saturday night, mostly will sound the same. Um, but that's not, not necessarily always the case. Um, yeah, I, I think it just... It really depends. I know sometimes there's a sense of, of what the dancers would call a live audience, and sometimes the audience is more, appears to be more passive, and it's really hard to figure out where that's coming from, what that's about, because the quieter audience might be just loving it, right? but they're not screaming, so. right. Yeah, it's, you know, and again, I, I say that not because I think, oh, they don't like it as much or, you know, I don't think that at all. You know, sometimes on, on openings or premieres, there's a certain buzz in the audience, and so you can feel that, and it gets everybody more excited to really, I don't know, stand up and clap, which is always, I mean, it's wonderful. It's great. We love that. Um, but sometimes you'll do a piece that maybe is a little less showy and is a little more... Um, introverted or, or darker or something and the less clapping it's not that it affects you can just feel that everyone's still a part of the piece so standing up and going wild and crazy and clapping might not feel right 
And I think it just depends on the experience of the whole theater. And that's not necessarily because it's it wasn't done well or because they're just not as interested, I, I think. Well, we've run out of time for our conversation. I want to remind you that uh, the website is always a wonderful mine of great information, sfballet.org. Remind you that we still have another um, month, I think, almost a month of good programming, not just in the Opera House, but um, some of the lectures and talks about ballet and seeing ballet all to be looked at in your program under um, adult ballet education. And last but not least, um, the wonderful lookbook, which is going to be on sale in the um, shop on the mezzanine. And I've been in this great conversation with Sarah Van Patten, who is going to go from here to there and will sign your lookbook for you. Sarah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.